from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 237 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. Thank you. So getting getting geared up for Halloween. Yes, me too. So, so. But we, we have some sad news in the the Disney community. We heard that earlier this week, Dame Angela Lansbury passed away at the age of 96. And she had quite a career. I think it spanned like 75, 76 years. Yeah, a long There's, time. Yeah, and she uh, she she was really one of the last stars from you know, I don't know what, what would you call it, the golden age of Hollywood, because she started out, you know, acting like with um, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, you know, and, and I mean, those kinds of stars. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say it's fair to say that, you know, her yeah. career definitely transcended it. And as Disney fans, you know, a lot of us really grew an attachment to her with I mean, bed knobs and broomsticks, but mm-hmm. above all is Mrs. Potts, but then her revolution in the 80s with murder she wrote. Uh, it's just, you know, she, she had such a vibrant career in, you know, in the best days of her life as well as after she, you know, after she got older, just kept acting and acting and acting. I mean, she just did. a couple of years ago, Mary Poppins returns as the yep. balloon lady. I mean, she, she just kept going. Well, and she's going to be, we're going to see her in the um, next Knives Out uh, mystery film, Glass Onion. That's going to be her final film role. I did not know that. I have been keeping uh, my lid tight on any information on that because I want to go in surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she has a cameo and I've heard it's sort of a um, homage to Jessica Fletcher. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. I really never watched Murder, She Wrote, just because the time it was on, uh, the year it was on, the, the, the years it spanned and the time it was on, you know, it was raising kids and all that stuff. It was just never convenient. But I I got to see her on stage when she played Mrs. Lovell in a Sweeney, Sweeney Todd, Todd, the Demon Barber of of uh, Fleet Street. Oh my gosh, she was so good and so funny. I think uh, I, I have never watched the. I, I think there is a pro shot of her in the show, but I used to listen to that recording all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, after the Johnny Depp Tim Burton movie came out, I was like, I want to listen to the the original production of it and see and. Oh, she is so good in that role. 
Yeah, and she she my two favorite films. She's in a State of the Union with um, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn because they're two of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. And then, did you ever see her in the original Manchurian Candidate? Well, she's yes, I like have. The yeah. evil mother. Oh my gosh, she's so good. And she was only three years older than the actor who was who portrayed her son in the film, but she pulled it off. Oh, for and, sure. No, it's oh, so yeah. diabolical. Yeah, and if people out there haven't watched the original Manchurian Candidate, don't watch the don't watch no, the no. remake with Denzel no. Washington. Go back to the original. The original is much better. I saw the the second one too, but the and I, I have to assume one of the reasons they remade it is because the original version's in black and white. But exactly. it is it is superior to um, the the later version. So, but yeah, but yes, I guess for most of us, she'll always be Mrs. Potts. But I will, I do now want to go back and see. Um, if Murder, She Wrote is like on any streaming service. And I thought, oh, you know, go back and watch it because I like those kinds of shows. Like right now I'm watching Only Murders in the Building mm-hmm. and and really enjoying that. And so uh, I thought, uh, you know, and I, I like on um, on BritBox, you know, I watched a Hercule Poirot film, yeah. you know, series and and uh, and some of the others that are on there. And so I thought, oh, you know, I would like Murder, She Wrote, I think. So I'll have to go oh, yeah. back and look for it. Yeah, I think it might be on, like, if... I I, I see it on um, Hallmark from time to time. Not, like, one of the offshoots of Hallmark. Oh. But it also might be on Peacock, too, if I remember oh, correctly. Okay. So I can't... I, I know it's on something that I have an app for. So. Yeah, I, I'm sure it is. You think it'd be... Because wasn't... Murder, She Wrote, a CBS show? You think it'd be on Paramount it was, Plus? It was NBC because it was they NBC. had okay. a Murder, She Wrote attraction at Universal Studios Florida. What what happened on that? <laughs> it, it was kind of like a walkthrough, and they would show like the editing and how the show oh, would come together. Okay. Kind of, I, I don't want to say like in a, in a monster soundstage way, but also kind of in that similar way to like the equivalent to disney i'll send you a link sometime to this thing it was it was ridiculous there there are videos you where you can piece together what the whole experience was like uh it it, it was bizarre that (laughs) i mean it wasn't bizarre that it was in a theme park dedicated to movie and tv making but it's just one of those things where like you look back at it now in 2020s and like there was a murder she wrote attraction in a theme park it's just it's uh it's goofy but um it is good stuff good stuff yeah well we will of course she will always be remembered in the hearts of disney fans as mrs potts and and of course in bed knobs and broomsticks and for me she will always be elvis's mom in blue hawaii that's she, right she, like another situation where she could not have been that much older than him but still his mom in that movie <laughs> probably not probably not <laughs> all righty well in um we the well as you know as we've mentioned last week 
The D23 Expo 2022 was held at the Anaheim Convention Center from Friday, September 9th through 11th. And in our previous episode, Craig and I shared our experiences from day one of the Expo. And in this episode, we are going to continue sharing our experiences with panels that we attended. And and if we get through all of that, we'll talk about maybe our thoughts on the Expo in general, some of the exhibits we went through and the D23 exclusive Oogie Boogie Bash. So we're now looking then at Saturday, September 10th. And the one thing that came up, this was the Studio Showcase 2, Mar- the Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, and 20th Century Fox. And this was one I could not get into. So, uh, so Craig, so you're going to have to take the lead on this one. I know that Alan Bergman, chairman of the Walt Disney Studios, started out and he sort of reflected on the 13 year history of the D23 Expo and the studios. So was there was there anything that was memorable from his opening remarks? Uh, No, (laughs) not (laughs) not to belittle him in this way. But I mean, it's all about this one was all about getting the basically Kathleen Kennedy and Kevin Feige out uh, to talk about Marvel and Lucasfilm. And I'll be honest, I sitting in the panel, everyone was sitting around being like, why did they have 20th century Fox in here too? Like, what are, what are they going to talk about? It seemed that everyone around me had forgotten about avatar. (laughs) So it was like, it wasn't like a surprise, but it was like when it was all over, they're like, well, you know, don't get excited and leave because of Marvel, because we have 20th century left. And it was like, oh, yeah, Avatar. We have mm-hmm. to end it off with that. But no, it, it's always nice having the, the remarks right at the beginning. But this this was all about, you know, stepping aside and letting the the other studios have their their time. And they did, because this thing went way, way over, <laughs> like, uh-huh. way, way over. Like, I, I want to say. It was scheduled to end at 12, um, and I believe it ended at about 105, 110. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so much well, that boy, they had Well, boy, you must to, have a lot of juicy things to tell us about this. That's, there, that's the problem. I don't even feel like there was a lot to say about mm-hmm. it. I mean, there were some really amazing moments in there, and they went over a lot of different movies and TV shows and such. I mean, they, they really ran the gamut and covered so much. It just, it was one of those things on paper. I don't know why they would have ever scheduled it. And it it did impact the rest of the day because they had to end up pushing back the afternoon panel that was in, um, that was in the, the same hall D 23. And that one was all about like Disney, uh, Disney, I don't want to say Disney Channel. It did include Disney Channel, but like more of the family friendly Disney fair, like Big Shot, uh, the Muppets new TV show that's coming, stuff like that that you see on Disney mm-hmm. Plus, Mighty Ducks Game Changer, like it, that kind of realm of Disney Plus shows. Okay. All right. Well, they started out with Andor, with, you know, so we visited Star Wars right away. I have not started watching this i've heard good things about it yeah. on disney plus um so, so what what did you learn and what are your thoughts about this series uh well my thoughts about the series is it's absolutely fantastic uh, oh, it, good. Uh, please watch it as soon as you get a chance you know they they kind of recapped what it's going to be the first uh the first 12 episodes are taking place 
five years before the events of Rogue One. And then there's a second 12 episodes that's uh, planned. It, I don't believe they filmed it yet. Uh, they're still in the, the stages of working. And that's going to, that new season's going to cover the time between, uh, you know, the, where this part ends off and going up to where the events of Rogue One starts, <laughs> unless they decide to tighten it up more and get more episodes out of the show. But right now, as the current time recording this, we're halfway through the first uh, 12 episodes. Uh, episode six just debuted and it's following uh, Cassian Andor from Rogue One played by Diego Luna. And uh, he is, it, it's his establishing story on how he got involved in the rebellion and really how the rebe- the rebellion you know, launched out. So he was there. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, who played Mon Mothma in Rogue One, as well as Andor, was also there because it's all about how she really gets involved in the rebellion, too, and goes from a senator into the leader of the rebellion. And at this point uh, of D23 Expo, it was just couple weeks away or not like a week away from when the the show was starting so we got to see the final trailer for it and then you know get us all excited for the three episode premiere that happened then on the i think it was like september 22nd or 23rd right around there and yeah now it's out for all of us and to enjoy and it's it's so good it is like it's just it's a spy show wrapped in a drama wrapped in the the Star Wars universe. So it's playing oh, out very slow, but it is tense and these episodes are like clocking in after like the opening credits and end credits. They're they're like hovering around forty minutes. You would think that they're like fifteen minutes. They are flying by, so I cannot recommend it enough. Oh great, because I really liked Rogue One. So I'm glad that they this this is um this is a good series. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, so, it's um, so good. So, so good. Okay. And then they talked about what Star Wars, the Bad Batch season two. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, the Bad Batch is a, an animated show on Disney plus that's like a spinoff of Clone Wars, uh, that's following a, a certain sect that's dubbed the bad batch uh, i'll be honest i didn't want to watch it until i finished the clone wars which i'm still slugging my way through uh so i i really i'm still in the dark about everything with the bad batch but uh dave filoni was there and announced that bad batch season two is coming out in january of 2023 so uh, i guess it got pushed back from uh this year so it's I, that that's fine, but yeah, I don't I don't know a lot of details from it. I guess it's just continuing the story from the first season. Okay, I did skip over one um, one that I, I remember seeing the the original film back in the day. I don't think I've watched it since. But Willow, we're we're returning to the world of Willow. Yeah, uh, a very. A very big part of this panel actually took up a lot of time because this one was like a, a multi-step because, you know, Kathleen Kennedy's there and then she invited Warwick Davis out to, who is Willow, uh, to, um, to then announce like all of the characters that were, uh, going to be in the show and give our first introduction to them. Uh, you know, cause the original Willow's a movie and this is actually going to be a series on Disney plus. So, uh, one of the, uh, 
one of the returning actresses was uh, Joanne Whaley. And I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. I can't remember. Uh, but then they announced like all these new people who I didn't know any of them except for uh, Tony Revolori, who is like, he's the flash character from the new Spider-Man movies. He's the, the kind of like bully that's obsessed with Spider-Man. And he's, oh, he's been okay. in a bunch of other stuff too, but, um, that's like a uh, grand Budapest hotel. I know he's in that, but he was the only person out of all the, the new people that I, I recognized and, and knew who they were, but, uh, they all came out and kind of introduced their characters. They showed off a, a new poster and the big grand reveal there was that Christian Slater was joining the cast and they didn't go into who he was playing, but Christian Slater came out and it was one of those cool moments of like, how many times in your life are you going to say you saw Christian Slater in person? Not that like, I, you know, I was, I was very young in the nineties, so <laughs> it's not a super big deal to me, but I still know he's a big deal. But, uh, the, the big part of this was that we got to see a, a second trailer that I believe has come out since, yeah, uh, and was released with it. And it looks like a great show. Uh, it does. You know, still the very vague. The only thing that worries me is it's been described as an epic period fantasy told with a modern sensibility. modern sensibility yeah what does that mean and so um yeah but uh, yeah that's fun i remember when christian slater did a cameo in star trek six the undiscovered country and all that because he's a big star trek fan and his mother had something to do with with the film and so he asked if he could be in it so he is he has a cameo and he's in the shadows but you know who it is yeah. And, and I'll let you know his voice. And he's um, alerting uh, Captain Sulu that there's a message or something. I thought, what, don't they have, isn't there an intercom system on that ship? <laughs> <laughs> he has to open up the captain's uh, door and tell him in person. Yeah. I, it's like, for me, I mean, I've since I've you know, become an adult. I've watched stuff like Heather's and true romance that he's in. Uh, but for me, it was always more like, I remember growing up watching Saturday night live and the nineties cast. And I think I remember him on an episode of SNL and they would every now and then they would do impressions of him too. So I think I know more about him as like joking about him than actually the movies that he's been in. But Warwick Davis must've been a child. When he started his career, because I mean, he doesn't look that bad. Oh, no, he was, he was, um, I want to say he was like six in Return of the Jedi. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, okay. I don't remember his exact age, but he was very, very young. Um, actually, no, he was, he was much older than that. He was born in 1970. And Return of the Jedi came out in 83, so he would have filmed that when he was 11, 12 years old, right yeah, in there. wow. He so. got started early. Yeah. Okay. Well, good for him. I'm glad. He does look great, though. <laughs> he does. He looks very good. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. That'll Me be a too. good series. I have to rewatch Willow. Yeah. Um, the, the next one is Star Wars Tales of the Jedi. What can you tell us about this, Craig? Yeah, this is another, another animated film. 
Exactly. It's another new animated film, and it's coming out in October. I believe it's going to be one where they drop all of the episodes right at once. Um, but it's kind of seems like it's a spinoff of the Clone Wars. Uh, they're going to have three episodes on Count Dooku and how he really turns from the good side to the dark side. And then they're going to also have three episodes that feature Ahsoka Tano and uh, continue, you know, elevating her story. But uh, that's, you know, they released a trailer with it and I think it looks good, but it's it's another one where I'm like, I, I think with this one, because like, obviously Count Dooku comes before the Clone Wars. Like, I feel like I can watch this one without having to finish that show, but it definitely feels like it's, it's all a part of it. And I love, I love that they're getting more into his background because they've covered it in books, but this is kind of a, a first in terms of other, you know, having it be on movies or TV. So I, I like that they're going this route with it. It should be, should be a little cool standalone show. Yeah. But then. I guess Ahsoka Tano gets her own series on Disney yes. Plus as well. But that one is a live action series. Sort of what comes, is it like a spinoff from The Mandalorian or? Exactly. Yes. It's going to be, you know, Rosario Dawson played Ahsoka in The Mandalorian and she is, uh, she's also playing the role in the spinoff show and, Honestly, they really didn't go over a lot with it. Uh, it just finished filming. I know that, or they were like right at the, right around the end of filming, but, uh, they, they really didn't want to give away anything with this. They did a, a couple screenshots and, uh, there was in one of the screenshots, like there was a nod to the TV show, the animated TV show Rebels. So that, you know, it, we, we know that that gets a little bit of, of love in. Ahsoka, hopefully, a good amount of love because Ahsoka also was in Rebels too, so it would make sense that that it would all fit together. Uh, but yeah, it's they're they're keeping this one a little bit, you know, on tighter lockdown, and I can't wait to see it though. I I, I thought Rosario Dawson did a fantastic job as Ahsoka Tano in Mandalorian, and was just every every single episode she was in just stole it. Completely. Yeah, I agree with you. I wanted more of her actually mm-hmm. in that. And then, then I guess we have next is Star Wars meets Stephen King with um, Star Wars Skeleton Crew. <laughs> Uh, we have to see how this one is going. I know it's still, uh, it's still early on in its production and it is going to be a series too because Star Wars loves series right now. Uh, this one's going to be helmed by John Watts, who was in charge of the Spider-Man movies. So that's, you know, I feel like that's a good person to be doing it. Those were very, uh, very entertaining movies and Jude Law is going to be part of it and. Ah. Which, you know, it's, he's working on that Disney legend now. <laughs> Get yes, ready for it. Uh-huh. You know, between Captain Hook last week and now, now this week being in a Star Wars movie, all he, all we need to do is lock him down in, uh, in a Marvel movie. And I, I think we got him. We got yeah. Him or he has to do a, vo- an, or a voice in a, in a cartoon. Yeah, we'll 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 get him. We'll get him to be a Disney legend. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's the only thing they really told us is that it's going to be about a group of kids that are like are, are stranded in the edge of the galaxy, and that's kind of we know it's going to be in the New Republic 
era that's after Return of the Jedi, but not a lot of not a lot of details to it because it is still so early in its run. But they shared a screen of it with Jude Law in it, so we know for sure. That, you know, it's it's actually in production right now. It sort of reminds me in a way, and I've not watched this series, but it's Star Trek Prodigy. It's one of their, and I think that's what it's called. It's one of their animated series. And it, it's a group of young adults or teens who find a, I, I think a, a derelict, uh, you know, um, starship. And they yeah. are sort of crewing it themselves as they go through the galaxy. And their guide to how to run it and learn about Starfleet is a hologram um, of um, Admiral Janeway that was created as a training hologram. So, it, it, I don't know. It seems like it has some shades of that. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. That's the only one of the Star Trek shows. I haven't started um, Strange New Worlds yet just because I have to catch up on... Uh, I can't discovery. I'm still catching up on discovery. Uh, but I, I never got into prodigy just because it looks like it's aimed a little bit too younger than I want to go is. with. It but is. yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Oh, you'll love, um, you'll love strange new worlds. It's the only one of modern Trek. I like, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Yeah. So anyway. All right. And then one I'm really looking forward to Mandalorian season three. So what's he up to? He and the child, Grogu are reunited. So what's going to happen? Hopefully a lot of action. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you that much. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, of course, this was, this was one of the ones where it was like, uh, they really hyped it up because it's Mandalorian and everyone loves Mandalorian. But I know they also gave a lot of time to this at Star Wars Celebration earlier, but I didn't go to that. So this was kind of my first look into season three, because, of course, they they did show a trailer with this one. But uh, they brought out a lot of the cast. Pedro Pascal was there, Amy Sedaris, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Katie Sackhoff, uh, Emily Swallow. And, you know, they, they spent a lot of times talking about how you know, how fortunate they felt to be a part of this show. Because, I mean, this really, I don't want to say it revitalized Star Wars, but it it definitely set the tone for where Star Wars could have gone after Rise of Skywalker and after they closed out that entire saga. And really, Mandalorian has, you know, it it stepped up the game and everything's held against it. But uh, the teaser trailer for it, you know, that's, that's out and available and Mm -hmm. that's the same details we, we really got with it. So uh, uh, Katie Sackhoff's Bo-Katan of course is definitely going to make things uh, stressful for the Mandalorian because we still have to figure out, you know, we have to figure out how they kind of handle each other. There's obviously more Mandalorians out there that, no, probably don't like the fact that he's removed his helmet before, just right, like, right. just like the, um, the, the characters played by Emily Swallow, but I forget the, the name of it, the, the kind of the leader of the Mandalorians that did all like the, the, the work for him and you know putting together his armor and stuff no no one's happy about that but uh if one of the cooler parts too is you know we i think it's babu frick from rise of skywalker one of my only parts uh one of the only parts of the 
that movie that I enjoyed. It looks like he pops up in this now too and crosses over or at least like the same character. And from Rise of Skywalker, he's the one that erased C3PO's memory and that like the little creature that just kind of goes like, Hey, yeah. so I, I, I hope, I hope it's Babu Frick, but even if it's just more of his kind, that's fine too. But I, I I'm looking forward to this. I think, Oh, I am too. You know, the second season was, the first season was incredible. The second season was even better. And we know from book of Boba Fett, you know, Grogu's back with him. You know, he, he ditched Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And he has now some powers that he learned from Luke. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how he works with the Mandalorian. Yep. Because now he's not just going to be playing with the little stick shift yep. ball. You know, he can do a lot more. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And then, of course, they, they brought out with his walker, they brought out, of course, the Harrison Ford, <laughs> you know, and with this cane, you know, for, for Indiana Jones 5. And did he have his nurse with him? Oh, I will tell you what. <laughs> Whatever, whatever ailments and old age he felt having to like go back to the Star Wars movies just to get Indiana Jones 5 made, he's completely recovered from all that because he looked really good out on stage. Um, All the photos I saw, he looked terrific, yeah. I honestly think it was like, I I don't want to say it in this way, I feel like he has had a couple years where, you know, there's, you have to do some things that you don't necessarily want to do in order to <laughs> to get the things that you want but the ovation that he got when he came out on stage i mean it it moved him to tears like and then the fact that indiana jones is his favorite character that he's played it's oh, what he wanted really? to play yeah oh it's that it's what's meaningful him to him so he he was like he was full blown crying in it like not like weeping weeping out loud but tears were down his face and he he told the entire audience how much it meant to him how much the character meant to him and he really hopes that we enjoy what they made for us and oh i hope it's uh, better than the last one the crystal skull or whatever it was so here's here's the thing uh we did get to see a trailer for it that still has not been released yet i'm sure someone did a bootleg recording of it on YouTube and titled it something differently so people could find it. I I haven't searched it out. So the only time I've seen the trailer is when I was in the room and it was kind of also overwhelming that there's a lot I don't even remember from it. Uh, But uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is also a part of it and she was there on stage with Harrison Ford. Um, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Rice davies is coming oh, back as Sala in this fantastic. one. So I feel like that's a good sign. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. having, having him be a part of it is definitely makes you feel better. But the reason why I say, you know, there could be a little cringe to it is there was definitely parts of the trailer where uh, there was de-aged Harrison Ford. And uh, I, because I, I, I think there's going to be some flashback points with this one and, or it's going to be, you know, starts off in the past and then comes up to current day. But I, I'm not quite sure how it's actually going to work in that way. But that's the only thing that looked a little bit off. But, you know, if the story's good enough, if the action's good enough, you can kind of look past that. Like I'm, I, I still watch, you know, the, 
portion in the Ant-Man movies when Michael Douglas is de-aged and, you know, parts of other Marvel stuff where they use that, that technology and it doesn't bother me too much. Well, as long as they have the big payoff and they have a, you know, they bring in a, a you know, a CGI Sean Connery and then Harrison Ford. And then what was the name <laughs> of the, his, the woman he married? And then, uh, and, then and then of course that's, and then of course Shia, Shia LaBeouf is Mutt. I, I don't know, believe they have Mark that Williams family reunion. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he's back, unfortunately. <laughs> and there was nothing about, uh, there was nothing about Karen Davis. Karen Davis? I know her name's I, Karen. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, but well, that's weird because they got married. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, maybe she pops up. There was nothing about it in there. The, the one thing I do remember from the trailer that was hilarious is, uh, you know, I'll know the, moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark when uh, the the big guy is swinging around his sword back and forth and Indy pulls out the gun and shoots mm-hmm. him. Uh, in the trailer, they kind of did a opposite take of it where Indy's surrounded by all these guys and he pulls out his whip and he's, you know, trying to taunt them with it and they all surround him and pull out guns. <laughs> it's like, it, that was so learned so yeah so <laughs> i saw the first film <laughs> yeah there was definitely there was definitely some humor in it uh it looked like you know it looked like a, a solid action movie whether or not it's a a good return to indiana jones that uh, that will have to wait to be seen but i do love that james mangold is directing it um I, he's made Logan, the the last of the Wolverine movies, except for apparently the new Deadpool movie that's coming out soon. Um, and like Logan is the best send off of a of a comic book character that they've done so far, and like really did did uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine so much justice. So if it's if Indiana Jones five is you know, similar to how that movie was handled, then I think, I think we're in for a treat. But beyond that, like, I love Ford versus Ferrari. That's been one of my favorite movies. That's a very good last couple of years. And, um, I, I enjoyed his take on 310 to Yuma too. I know the original is still a classic, but, um, you know, he, he's done a lot of good stuff over the years. (laughs) So I, uh, I, I, I'm, I I think Indiana Jones five is going to be a hit. I hope so. I, I love all those Indiana Jones films. I can even tolerate the Crystal Skull one a bit. Yeah, but it's bad. I mean, there's no doubt about oh, it. Oh, it is. It's terrible. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. But it's one of those films that as they wrote the script and talked about it and did the table read, you think they all would have looked at each other and thought, where are we going with this? I mean, what is this? I, I don't know. Everyone can make a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then it was um, moving on to Marvel Studios with Kevin Feige. And they started out with a musical number from Hawkeye. Yeah. Yeah, that could could do this all day from Rogers the Musical. Yeah, the Save the City, which uh, was definitely entertaining. So that was was unexpected. And, you know, Kevin uh, Feige set it up with saying, like, he's... He's jealous of every time he attends like the parks panels and even stuff like the Disney Legends because he always gets to see these show stopping numbers that happen as part of it, but he never has the chance to be able to do it as part of the Marvel one. So because they had 
the the musical sequence in Hawkeye that gave him the right to be able to do it on here. So they they staged the entire song and did the entire production, and it was it was it was fantastic. It was one of the most fun five minutes I've had in in, in any panel ever, and I love. I love that he did it with the knowledge of saying, like, I did this because I go and see the Parks panel and and Legends. And he does. He's in those other panels because that's how much of a fan he is of Disney. It's but he's not a just charter member of D23. Yep. Yeah. He, and I, it's one of the things I admire most about him is that he has not lost his fandom as he has become more successful. He is still a fan first and foremost. And then he, he is also in charge of this massive property that a lot of Disney's movies just solely rests on. So, um, it, it, it was, it was a great moment and it, it has to, if it's not one of the, the most fun moments he's had in his life, getting to watch that play out on, on stage at D23 Expo, then, now, I don't know what is, but then again, he's also made like 30 hit movies now, so I'm sure he's got yeah. a lot of good moments. See, and th- this was the other, when I heard about this musical number, because remember I talked about the um, Tiana one, and I said, and then they're going to say, if you like this, just wait, because this is just one number of the new Tiana the Musical or whatever that's opening at the Hyperion Theater at California Adventure. Then we didn't get that. Then, well, we didn't get that then. And then we, when I heard, I heard about this, I thought, that's it. They're going to make that announcement. Kevin Feige's going to get his dream and he's going to be able to create a musical for the Hyperion Theater. And nah, there was no announcement about that either. So, so many disappointments, but we'll get into that a it little happens. later on. <laughs> yes, it happened a lot. But, um, anyway, probably one of, well, one of the first films they talked about is probably the one of the most anticipated. I think theater owners are really waiting for this after the sort of slow summer we had. And that is, um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So what can you tell us about this one, Craig? I, honestly, this one, like, it, it had to be the one to kick it off because it is the newest movie coming out, but also it's, you know, it's it's still the elephant in the room of Chadwick Boseman passing away, uh, the Marvel's Black Panther, and um, this was this was definitely emotional. I will I will say that um, it you know it, you can tell how much the people in this movie have on their their shoulders, um, and we got we got to see people from the movie Letitia Wright. Uh, Suri, who obviously is Black Panther now, even though they still haven't announced it, and we'll find out in the movie. But you know, it's we you see that shot in the the newest trailer that came out of a very right. skinny Black Panther that could and, only and I, be her. I've heard since then on a, another podcast that I watch that um, who they talk about films and all that that supposedly they are going to talk about the death of the Black Panther in yeah. this film. Yes. Um, yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, I, I do believe that. And I, cause I think it was part of the clip that we got to see, but, uh, I'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to okay. say also Angela Bassett was there, Winston Duke, and then the, the villain in this movie played by, uh, Tina Quarta. Uh, he's playing, uh, Namor in this one or Namor. I can't remember 
the exact pronunciation of it, but they were all there. But uh, the teaser trailer came out for this uh, not too long ago uh, from, you know, when we're recording this and stuff, not the teaser trailer, the full trailer, but um, we got to see a complete different one that kind of mixed the trailer with an, a longer scene. Uh, you know, I know they've done that in the past. The one that really sticks out to me of when they've done this was when we saw the Captain America Winter Soldier one, where they mm-hmm. showed the entire sequence of him sneaking on to the, the ship at the beginning, and then you know, after they played out so much of that sequence, then all of a sudden they, they cut into the trailer, and that's kind of what happened for this one. Um, there was... There was a clip where it had Angela Bassett as a queen, like talking in front of the United Nations. And if I can remember correctly, in in that clip, I believe she mentioned the loss that was endured. Oh, and okay. It was it was one of those things where it's again. I wish, you know, we had to put our away our phones anytime any anything came up on the screen. Um, mm-hmm. beyond photos, we were allowed to take pictures and videos of photos. We just weren't allowed to have it out during the trailers that were playing. And this was one that like, you just got caught up because it was like they dumped out so much information for you in this, this short amount of time. But, um, yeah, it was uh, Angela Bassett. I will, I, she is a powerful person in everything she's in. And I feel like they are going to elevate her role as the queen in this one and make her even more important than before. Uh, which, you know, that's, that's a great move. <laughs> Rely on Angela oh, Bassett when you have to. Fantastic actress. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. and then also in that, in that trailer, uh, they showed the first footage of Ironheart, which was cool because that actually is what it kind of led into with the next. <laughs> <laughs> the next part of it but yeah and this is like black panther was a character i was unfamiliar with um because you know phase one and two of the marvel cinematic universe those are all characters i grew up with and read mm. and they had cartoons and all that black panther was one of the first really new ones to me and i love that character i love the the, the environment and the land they created all the other characters and I'm re- so I'm looking forward to how they continue Wakanda and the story of the Black Panther in this film. Ironheart, I am not another one I am not familiar with. Yeah, I'm not familiar with uh, with either. But um, it, you know, they're also they're still in the middle of production. I believe they said that they were halfway done filming and. Uh, they, they showed a little bit of footage, but I don't really even remember what happened in the footage again. Um, but they did bring out Anthony Ramos with it, who's playing, um, I, I forget what character he's playing in it, but I, I want to say he's playing Parker Robbins, aka The Hood. That's it. That's it. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I really like Anthony Ramos. Uh, he was in Hamilton and then, uh, he was recently in, in the Heights. So, uh, he's definitely, definitely, uh, really making a name for himself in, in the world of movies right now. But I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic to this too. So, you know, Ironheart kind of going off the, you know, the, the next evolution of Iron Man in a way. 
I, I'm I'm up for anything with it. Yeah, but and I also don't is... really know a lot about Riri Williams, who is playing Ironheart. So, yeah, yeah and this is going to be a um, it's going to be the continuation of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, and it's going to be a series on Disney Plus. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic to everything. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, we'll with see. Iron Heart, of course, but I yeah, it's I I do know that like the little part that we got to see it, she was you know she's clearly smart. She was building her suit together um, from scraps, so very much like Allah to you know Tony Stark building his mm-hmm. first suit together. So I, I I like that. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and then one I'm really looking forward to because I love this series and these characters. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. This was the hardest one to be a part of because this wasn't even the end of Marvel, but uh, just because of the, the timeline for where it's taking place and how soon it's going to be coming out, um, it's it, they could have ended with this because it was just... It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Jonathan Majors was out because he is back. You know, we saw him in Loki the first time as Kang, mm-hmm. and he is going to be part of um, Quantumania. And back at Comic-Con, apparently they got to see the first trailer, but we got to see more of it in this one. And I cannot wait till it's released because... Um, this trailer was incredible. Uh, I have, I, I am excited for Black Panther, but I am like truly hyped for Ant Man and the Wasp and uh, Quantum Mania, and that's like, it, I I don't know why because I, I enjoy Ant Man and the Wasp and I enjoy Ant Man, but they're by by no means my favorite movies. But this is like, this to me feels like it's going to be the Civil War of this one because it's it's apparently going to be like the direct line into the next part of phase five and eventually we're going to get to um you know the next avengers movies that are going to happen and uh, it just this the the trailer was all over the place bill murray's in it i guess maybe that was revealed before by accident but he plays a part in it because they get stuck in you know they there's the the quantum realm and such, and they get they get put in there. And apparently, Bill Murray had uh, some ties with Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> you know, who's um, Evangeline uh, uh, Lilly's mom in mm-hmm. the movie. And so, like, there's that that was happening with him. Um, Randall Park is coming back as his uh, character oh, Jimmy Woo, which good. I think I like he's great in character. Uh-huh. But Kang is like. You know, we got to see the start of his madness in Loki and and not that he went mad in Loki, but we got to see like the beginning glimpses of us getting to see how powerful of a character he was. And then this one, like there's this moment in the trailer that I I half don't want to ruin, but he just has this moment where he's looking at at Ant-Man and like, have I killed you before? And it's just... It gave like it gave me chills in that moment. It, it's still giving me chills thinking about it too, because you know the man just it, 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 he's in different realms, he's in different multiverses. So he may have battled the Avengers in many of them and killed all of them before, but 
not the ones that we know. So it's, you know, the multiverse is definitely getting a lot weirder. And this definitely was, it was one of the highlights. It wasn't my favorite of the Marvel things that we saw, but it's definitely the most impactful of all the ones that we saw. Well, I hope at some point they, we get an idea of how all these films are starting to connect or do they? Is that what the multiverse means? Is that yes. these films don't connect? No, no, no. Everything's going to start connecting. We're, we're getting okay. close to that point here. Okay, good, good. Cause it, it's starting to get hard to keep track of all this with the series and, and the, um, and, and then all the films and all that. You have to stay on top of yeah, all this stuff. It definitely got more bloated, but it will come together. Okay. Now one, the next one they talked about is already on Disney Plus and that's Werewolf mm-hmm. by Night. In fact, he's appearing at Adventures Campus at Disney California Adventure. I'm so jealous. And- I know. So I've seen the video for it. It looks, he looks, uh, he looks threatening. And although I know nothing, nothing about this at all. So, uh, except that it starts out, it looks like an old 1930s, you know, hammer horror film in the trailer that I've seen. Yeah. It's so, um, yeah, leading up to D23 Expo, there had not been a lot out about Werewolf by Night. Like we knew it was a, you know, we knew it was a Halloween special that was coming to Disney Plus that we were having that as a Halloween special and then Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, like there's a holiday special with that, but this was like, this was a big question mark of what's really going on with Werewolf by Night. And I was blown away by the trailer when they showed it to us here. Um, you know, Werewolf uh, by Night stars Gael Garcia. Last name is slipping out of my mind right now. But, you know, in the Disney realm, we know him as uh, the voice of Hector from Coco. Uh, Ga- Gael Garcia Bernal. And um, he's playing uh, he's playing the lead in this. And I'm not going to give any of it away. Since it is already streaming on Disney Plus, uh, the director of it's Michael Giacchino, who, uh, if you've watched half of the Pixar films that Randy Newman hasn't composed for, the other half have basically <laughs> been composed by Michael Giacchino, uh, up, um, the Incredibles, uh, the Incredibles. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. It's like he's Ratatouille, um, just so, so, so many along with Jurassic World movies, Rogue One, uh, Mission Impossible three, I believe lost. Uh, he's just, he's run the gamut. He is one of the best composers out there. And, uh, mm-hmm. also, and then Inside Out. That was a big one that I forgot. Um, he, he's done so many great things, but getting to be the director of this, I will tell you, he nailed it. Uh, the entire plot of it is that there's this bloodstone diamond that the bloodstone family has, which makes them the, uh, the natural strongest hunters against monsters. And the last current, um, the current heir to the bloodstone diamond, he passed away. And so they're holding a special hunt where a group of the best monster hunters are assembled to see which one of them is going to take over the bloodstone diamond. And that includes uh, our character played by Gael uh, Jack. And it also includes Elsa, the step or the actual daughter of the, 
of Ulysses Bloodstone that passed away and she was estranged from the family. And so instead of being, even though she is the rightful heir, instead of just being given it, she has to come back to prove herself that she can get it. And it plays out from there. I'm not going to ruin any of it. If you love, as you said, if you love hammer horror movies, the 1960s and seventies, you will love it if you also love 1930s and 40s universal classic monster movies okay, it's literally so it, it, it's a blend of those two though because oh, it's got I like it it's got the it's got the look in the feel of the 1930s 40s classic monster movies but it's got the kitschiness still of the hammer horror movies with um, you know uh what's his name that passed away just a little bit ago that played Dracula and 900 other things. Bella Lugosi? Not Bella. He played the original one. Um, I can't even think of it. He played in, uh, in, um, in Star Wars. He played Count Tuku, which is, what I was just oh, thinking oh my about gosh. him. Okay. Um, Christopher Lee. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. And yeah. he played, he was like the main star of the Hammer Horror movies, but, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it is a monster movie that is that is played out so beautifully. Um, there's twists in it. There's one twist that like you can tell just from the poster on who is the werewolf and stuff, but you still don't see everything else that's happening in it. You don't have to be a fan of Marvel to enjoy it. In fact, I think it is the perfect standalone thing because even though Marvel's name's on it and it could be involved in the Marvel Cinematic Universe later... You don't have to watch anything before it, and you don't have to watch anything after it. And it's oh, okay. perfect for the Halloween season. Please watch it this weekend. It is so, so good. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, I will. So good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. The next one, uh, going back to um, going back to Marvel, is uh, Don Cheadle, I guess, came up on stage to talk about Secret Invasion. And and I guess this has to do with the scrolls. The scrolls are back. Yeah, Don Cheadle was there for Armor Wars. I don't remember him being there for Secret Invasion because Secret Invasion is a Nick Fury series that he's okay. doing, and that does involve the scrolls. And um, you know, if you remember, it wasn't what movie was it where it was at the end of he it was, that and he was on their ship. Yeah, right? yeah. I can't even think okay. of which one it was. But anyways, yeah, it's a it's a Nick Fury show. And okay. um, we saw the trailer. The trailer's been released since then as well, too. So uh, you can watch that <laughs> if you so choose. I like Nick Fury, but at the same time, I too, too, I don't, you know, this this show isn't the, um, it's not the one that's exciting me the most. It excites me that Olivia Coleman's in it. So I think she's an absolutely uh, fantastic actress and has done a lot of incredible things. So from the crown, the favorite uh, broad church, uh, I don't know if you saw the father with Anthony Hopkins, where he won his most recent Oscar mm-hmm. for that, but she's, she's done a lot of incredible things. So, uh, it, I, you know, it could be good. It could be good, but I also, there's nothing about it that makes me want to like see it tomorrow. Mm, okay. What about Armor Wars? That's the next one they talked about. Yeah, that's the one. If I can remember, or actually, I, I do apologize too. Um, now that I'm remembering, he was out there for 
Secret Invasion because he's in Secret Invasion and he's also going to be in Armor Wars that picks up right after Secret Invasion. And, um, and with that one, I think Armor Wars is what's been announced now that it's not going to be a series. It's now going to be a movie. I feel like they've announced that since then. Okay. But, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even remember that. Maybe, maybe that's a, uh, that might be, it might be Secret Invasion that's, no, Secret Invasion's already, they made the trailer for that. That's going to be it. Now Armor Wars is going to be a movie. I apologize. That's how much that changed after D23 Expo. They've also changed the film lineup of when things are being released. That's so, what I heard because they pushed Blade out. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that happened after D23 Expo. So it's, my brain is starting to get, confused with with a lot of it but yes armor armor wars is going to have of course don chadle back as um as roadie and the war machine and it is going to be a uh it's going to be an actual movie and apparently sometime during you know as they were developing the series because the series not filmed or anything yet it's it was just going to continue that story but apparently as they were making the series and trying to write it out they decided that it was going to be better off as a as a movie so that's what's happening now Mm, (laughs) for it so and then i know a lot of folks will be excited that loki season two is filming and will be back in 2023 yeah, this was one of the absolute worst moments for me in this panel. Listen, Loki is not one of my favorite Marvel series. I, I like it, but I'm a lot of people say it's like been one of their favorites. To me, I thought it was enjoyable. I love Owen Wilson and I, you know, he, he's great. And I thought the chemistry in that show was perfect, but it was not my, it was not my favorite at all with it, uh, with all the Marvel movies that have come out before. But the reason why this one annoyed me is they're currently filming it and they literally flew the cast in from England just to put them on stage for five minutes. And then they left and went right back. Oh my gosh. Which just seems so incredibly wasteful. Like, you know, in terms of, and flying them out specially just for D23 Expo, um, wasn't, wasn't necessary at all but you know it is what it is they wanted to please the fans and they always know that tom hiddleston makes the crowds go wild so yes he does that's that's a big part of it and he was there owen wilson was there um the the girl in there was there and i'm not i'm not trying to be disparaging i just don't remember her name um di martino thank you and but the big the big part of it is that kihei kwan is joining the cast and he was there too. And we know him best from his roles in the eighties. He played, um, he played short round, of course, in Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. And he was in the Goonies and he is everywhere right now because he came back to acting in a big way this past year in everything, everywhere, all at once, which is looking like it will be the best movie of the year in 2022 if you haven't seen it yet i have watched it but i heard good things about it i have no idea what it's about it will blow your mind you will be confused at portions it will be a lot to handle but it is so emotional and just so well made Mm. and uh it's great but he's going to be joining the cast for loki season two but we got to see a little 
clip of it where um where Loki is kind of like going in and out of different time points and everyone's kind of forgotten him. So that's that's kind of a little fun twist to it and hopefully hopefully people like it as much as the first one. I hope I like it more than the first one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, this, I, I wasn't as excited about this one as I was some of the others. But Kiwi Kwan is not going to be in Indiana Jones 5. Uh, apparently not. Oh, so, gosh. But that I would do have believe, been a fun reunion. I, I believe he got to catch up backstage with Harrison Ford, though. Oh, good. Which, good. that's, I mean, that's adorable after all these years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then this was one where everybody was hoping the cast was going to be announced. And all of that, and that was the Fantastic Four that's opening in 2024. And I got the impression people were really disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, people were disappointed. And, like, uh, Matt Shackman, the director, is was in the crowd, and, like, he was pointed out, but it was like, nope, you'll find out more later. We have nothing to say. So that was awkward. (laughs) It's nice they announced it. And then there's one, again, another one I know nothing about, um, Echo. Well, well, I know it's a spinoff of Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series. But otherwise, that's all I know about it. Yeah, um, Echo is a series all about uh, the character Echo, Maya Lopez, that was in Hawkeye. She's the the character that, um, that was deaf in that movie. And also... um, you know, she also is missing limbs too. So just the fact that she's represented at all in anything, let alone a Marvel show was just incredible. And she was one of my favorite parts of that show too. But I, I love Hawkeye. I will talk all of that up and down. Um, but anyways, they did in fact uh, show a little bit of a, a trailer to us at D23 and the the trailer basically kind of showcased that it's going to look into the roots of Echo, um, and you know, kind of how she learned to be the character that she was. But the big part of it is that you know, it, it, if you haven't watched Hawkeye, I guess it's a spoiler. But if you have, you already know that in Hawkeye, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio showed up as Kingpin at the end of that mm-hmm. series, and um, he is also also going to be in in echo as well but i believe echo's gonna not just show you know the the past of this character maya lopez but also going to show like current days so um he is because the the clip that we saw of him included uh you know his injury that he sustained at the end of hawkeye so it clearly takes place after so i think it's going to be kind of going back and forth but it was it was great like they had the whole cast there there was a lot of them i don't even i don't even remember how many of them were there but it was the best part was they just all kept complimenting you know how great it was to to work with her and uh this was a really endearing part of the presentation because you know instead of instead of just clapping constantly you know we were doing the um I, I don't want to offend anyone, but we are doing like the hand waving in terms oh, of clapping, yeah. how you would normally do it for ASL. So that way people who are hard of hearing can see the applause. And so we are doing that in the room. It was, it was a really special moment. I'll say that oh, much. Oh, that's neat. 
And then, uh, and then, of course, uh, um, Vincent stayed on stage because yep. <laughs> Daredevil Born Again, his Disney Plus series, is going to be filming at some point and all that. But, but he, well, I don't know. I've not watched She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Yes. But I know it just had its finale. So I don't know if, is it a spoiler to say? Um, yeah, yeah, no, yes. So at the, it's all weird because at the time it was a spoiler that they showed a clip where, uh, She-Hulk and Daredevil teamed up in the show. I'm still not even to that point. I am watching She-Hulk, but I got started late on it and I'm trying to only watch one episode a week to mimic watching it. Like if I would have in real time. Um, but yeah, Daredevil pops up in, in She-Hulk and, uh, it, it was a cute little clip where, you know, they were kind of, you know, they're two lawyers, but of much different breeds. And she definitely underestimated um, Daredevil in that way. But it's, you know, I, I'd never watched any of Daredevil. I, I shouldn't say that. I tried to watch like the first three episodes, the, the one that was on Netflix, and I just could not get into it. It was not my, my thing. And so I, I don't have the love for, charlie cox that everyone else seems to have but i uh, you know i'm i might give this a shot i need to give daredevil a shot again and then see if i i'm excited about this but there wasn't really a lot of details about Mm -hmm. it just because it's you know everything's still early we got to see daredevil start to come back in in spider-man and then she hulk so he's slowly slowly making his boy back in in a big way okay okay Uh, what do you think of she hulk so far i've heard such mixed reviews that's one of the reasons I haven't started it yet. I love it. Um, the CGI is terrible. There's no way around That's what it. I've heard. Yeah. But I think Tatiana Maslany is, she is so incredible. Like I loved her in Orphan Black and I think she is just one of the, the best actresses out there right now. Um, it just, she has a knack for, comedic timing on top of you know the the dramatics that she can play uh as a character and you know they there's fourth wall breaking in she hulk that they choose the right times so if you look past the terrible cgi at moments and you really like take it in for the character work it's it's a good show i'm i i can't wait to to finish it up i i probably will end up just binging the end of it but you know i i like i like taking it slow with the shows. Mm-hmm. It gives me more time to actually absorb them and, and appreciate them. Okay. Well, I'll have to give it a shot. Cause I concerned with some of the more modern, um, ones where they're replacing the, you know, the original superheroes is that, you know, the original superheroes, they gave them time to go on journeys and all that. And like Hulk had to go on the, Hulk. it, it took him yeah. a while to sort of embrace his hulkiness. And it seems like, in the in the clips I saw, she was bigger, better, faster, and all that, like coming out of the gate. And I thought, okay, what what's her journey? I mean, what they don't give them time. Well, and so you know. I can't spoil it for you, but they go over it in the first episode, and mm-hmm. there, you you are right on the money in it, and uh, that's that's part of the humor in it that you know, it's. Like, it's not a super spoiler to say it, but like, the, uh, Hulk is in it because they're cousins, and that's obviously 
how she inherits this problem from him and he's expecting her to be around for years and years to train her how to like be able to control the Hulk just like he did but she doesn't have that problem that he does so it's but it yeah they 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 do take care of that so you don't okay. have it's you probably still will not be impressed and be like that's a cheating way out of it but I feel like they do it with the right amount of humor and still balance it out that it, it works. Okay. All right. So, well, I, I'm sure I will watch it cause I have to get caught up on all this yeah. to know where everything is going and all that. So, okay. All right. Um, then there was, um, one I'm looking forward to cause Captain America is my favorite superhero. And even though the, the mantle has been passed. I'm really looking forward to see what they do now. And that's Captain America New World Order. Yeah. And of course, this is going to be the first time that, uh, that we have, um, that we Sam have Wilson. Anthony Mackie, Sam Wilson yeah. as, as Captain America, solely as Captain America outside of the series. And I, you know, it, we don't know a lot about it, but, um, some of the characters from Falcon and the Winter Soldier are going to be returning. So oh, good, good. there's going to be that familiarity to it, which I enjoy. Um, especially, uh, Isaiah Bradley, um, Carl Lumley. He's going to be back in this, which I thought, you know, his scenes in Falcon and the Winter Soldier were very powerful. So I, I'm very excited to see how he fits in to this new movie uh the big news about it is that tim blake nelson is coming back to the mcu and uh he was he hasn't been seen since the incredible hulk and he is going to be part of of this new movie as well too so um that's that's kind of <laughs> that's it for right now really so we know where we know where captain america in this way is going but then in the next part we also did get to find out where uh where the where uh you know falcon and the winter soldier we get to find out where the winter soldier is going yes actually i'm looking forward to this the thunderbolts because it's a lot of the characters that were either introduced in the other films and then we never saw them again like the Contessa, the Red Guardian, and and John Walker, and 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 all of those. So I'm really looking forward uh, to this one. So did they? Did they say uh, this isn't again not going to be in theaters till summer of 2024? But did they say anything at all about it? Uh, honestly, we just got the cast reveal, and mm-hmm. that's that's it. Which that was you know awesome enough as it was uh i i didn't really i didn't know anything about the thunderbolts so after d23 expo i kind of looked up more about it and tried to like figure it out just because it was kind of confusing like as you said it's you wonder where all these side characters were going to finally play in and and have a role and this is this is it so um you know, be, you already mentioned Red Guardian and you mentioned, um, uh, you mentioned, I think, U.S. agent in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Yelena Belova is going to be in there. <laughs> Winter Soldier, as we already mentioned with it. Um, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus 
is finally getting her As big contessa. moment. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, all the, all these characters are in there, but what caught me off guard when I was like researching about it, cause Rhino was saying like, well, I wonder who they're going to get to play, um, William Hurt's character because he played General Ross and apparently Ross's, you know, with Ross's nickname being surrounded with Thunderbolt, he thought that it would involve that. I didn't realize that in the comics that, um, that Baron Zemo was part of the Thunderbolts and it was kind of like an organization that he set up of it was supposed to be bad guys, but you know, bad guys who ended up doing good things, kind of, you know, anti heroes in that mm-hmm. way. So, and you know, we last saw Baron Zemo in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and he's, he's still alive and out there. So I would, I, I wonder if he's going to pop up in this movie, but as of right now, we know. You know, we know who's going to be in the lineup, and yeah. it's looking good. It's looking real good. Yeah, it is. I think this is going to be a fun film. That's what I'm hoping for. And then the Marvels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, this is where we are bringing together uh, some some great characters. So it's going to be the follow-up to Captain Marvel, the return of Captain Marvel. But uh, on top of that, of course, Monica Rambeau who was we last saw in WandaVision, uh, very powerful now, is going to play a bigger role in the MCU. But then on top of that, too, uh, if you know, if you weren't watching Ms. Marvel, that's something you're going to have to catch up on because Ms. Marvel has yet. been introduced. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kamala Khan, she is, I, I'll tell you what, the show to me kind of nosedived at the end. It had such a good couple first episodes, but then it felt like they ran out of steam with it and they just kind of like ended it and didn't really know where to go. And at the time it, I hadn't finished at the time of D23 Expo, I hadn't finished the series. So I think maybe that's kind of why I feel the way I do because we did get to see a trailer for the Marvels and this looks good. Uh, these three characters, uh, Brie Larson, um, uh, Tiana Paris, and Amon Vellani, they have such a great chemistry together. Oh, that this good, movie good. is going to be so, so entertaining. Uh, it's it's going to be very, very good. And that's I, I know we're going to get a trailer for it probably during... Uh, I, I have to assume we're going to get it for Wakanda Forever. I, I don't think they'll wait till Ant-Man, but it's, I, I also understand why they ended off with this one. I thought Ant-Man's trailer was more impressive, but this looks like it's going to be a really fun movie. Oh, good. Yeah. I don't know much about the Marvels and all that. So I'm looking forward to learning more, but yeah, I'll have to watch that Ms. Marvel series. And you're right. That was another one that, that that was the re- from what I heard in the reviews. You said it started out strong and just sort of fizzled out. Yeah, anyone so. I've talked to has also <laughs> said the same thing. So it it's not like it ended badly. It just they it got to the point where you knew how it was going to end, and they didn't try to make it exciting. They're just like, "Yep, we got to where you thought it would go. There you go. Have fun." <laughs> there you go. Alrighty. And then they finally, they finally, um, brought in 20th Century Studios where after seeing what Lucasfilm was doing and, and, um, and Marvel and all that, they, 
they had one film. <laughs> yep. So, but, and I thought they must be doing more. But of course, what a film. This has been years in the making. And that is Avatar, the way of water. Yeah. So, uh, and, and they showed some scenes from the film, I guess. Yeah. It was, uh, it, they first introduced, uh, James Cameron. He actually was, it, it was a live stream of him, unless they just choreographed it really well and made it look natural. But it was a live stream of him all the way from New Zealand. And they're currently working, not even on, I don't think they were working on this one that's coming out. I think they're working on the next one already. And that's what he was um, dealing with at the time. But he called in to, you know, of course, give an update to him. So uh, they're in person to to kind of represent the movie was I've met him like three times and I feel terrible. I don't remember his name. John Landau, not wait, not John, John Landau, but not the John. Why am I thinking? Who's the other John Landau? John Landau's the film producer. I'm thinking of the other Landau that's directed, um, you know, American werewolf in London and so many other things, but John Landau's James Cameron's partner, on the avatar movies and if you've seen photos of like the grand opening of of um pandora the world of avatar he's the short little guy who's always standing right next to james cameron and uh he kind of hosted this portion of the panel since james cameron couldn't be there and they brought out some of the stars uh sam worthington zoe saldana uh stephen lang uh Sigourney Weaver was there, but he completely forgot to ask her any questions, and it was very <laughs> oh uncomfortable. Gosh. She's a it big was, star, too. <laughs> yeah, and they had some of the new cast. That was just like the cast that was from the original movie. They have a bunch of new, younger actors that are in it, too, that were out there, and that's kind of the funny part, is that Sigourney Weaver is now playing a young person in the the new one. It's all weird. Anyways, the whole buildup of all of this was then they wanted, you know, of course, Avatar was remastered to be put in theaters in 4K, 48 frames per second. And that's how the new movie is going to be and all of them moving forward. And so they wanted to give us a presentation of this. So they literally passed out 3D glasses to everyone in the audience and they put up these giant curtains between everyone, uh, you know, all the different three sections. So that way it blocked out the most light as possible. And they kind of showed off three different sequences uh, from the movie and really to give kind of an idea of what the look of the movie would be like. And it was definitely interesting i mean I, i'll say it's the 3d looked incredible just like it did when it first came out none of it was interesting to me it was running too long it was all just very repetitive and i was watching my clock and i wanted to get to the muppets christmas carol panel so i walked out after like 10 minutes of it and said i can't take any more but did it did did, did you get an idea of what this is about nope <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> like they they talked about the movie, and you know it's it's obviously you know following up after the events of Avatar, and you know some 
some of the characters have died, but they're able to still be back. And, um, and Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana's characters, you know, they're starting a family and they're really, you know, they're really moving into a, uh, into the family dynamic and opening up the world in that way. But, um, you know, it also takes place much more surrounded by water too. And, it, I, I'll be honest. They probably went into more details, but I was just watching my clock at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I need to get out of here. And so it was also like, why wouldn't you have ended this entire panel? Like it, Avatar could have been the first thing they did. Hand everyone 3D glasses as they came in and said, right away, we want to show you this and get it out of the way. And then they could have ended this panel on Harrison Ford on stage crying about being Indiana Jones again. It just, to me, it, the order was way off in how they did everything. And by the end of it, people just wanted out of the room. If you were a fan of Avatar, I think you were blown away. But if you were an average person, you're like, okay, it's pretty and it'll I'm probably look great in theaters, but <laughs> who cares? Yeah, just like yeah. me talking about it right now, it's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering how well the recent re-release of Avatar in the theaters was... Um, it was very popular, very successful. I imagine this film will be successful as well. So, well, while you were in this panel, I was over at the archive stage and I was watching a peek behind, well, I was attending a peek behind the curtain at Walt Disney's Imagineering Illusions and Special Effects Development Lab. And they had some of the Disney archive staff there. They had David, um, Joseph and Jessica Clauda. And they were, uh, they're Imagineering, um, illusion integrators. How's that for a, a job title? So I'll take uh, it. Someone <laughs> wants to give it to me. Yeah. So they talked about how their tricks need to last longer than, um, like a stage, um, magician illusions. So, and they're, what they do is not like movie special effects because the effect has to happen every 18 seconds all day. So in the illusion development lab, they use everyday objects to create like prototypes of props and ride vehicles and illusions. And so they said this all began in with Disneyland in 1955 and Wed Enterprises. And Yale Gracie, they said, started as an animator at Walt Disney Studio. He was a fine artist and background painter for Pinocchio and Fantasia. And he also illustrated the little golden books. And long-time listeners to, to our show have heard us talk about this in much more detail. And then he came to WED in 1955, uh, after, um, and he was invited by Walt after seeing Yale um, tinkering with little effects in his office. So Walt called it illusioneering. And it all was... And you know what the first illusion was, Craig? Can you think that we saw at Disneyland? Um, I would say... Um, I, I'm going to say Adventures Through Inner Space with looking like they're shrinking. It's even before that. It was the rain in the tiki room because there's oh. no real water. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it, but, um, 
Then in 1964, uh, there was the World's Fair um, Ford Pavilion in Lale, Yale um, worked on creating the lava flow illusion in the dinosaur diorama. And you can still see that. It's the same exact illusion that's in the primeval world scene on the Disneyland Railroad. So effects became more sophisticated. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, the little fireflies in the blue bayou. Uh, And Southern Californians had never seen fireflies at that time so they said it was an extremely subtle effect and they said that and it's still the same today it's been slightly updated but it's still that yale gracie effect so so it's interesting how his effects have stood the test of time i mean when they're simple but effective of course Mm -hmm. why not keep going with them oh yeah yeah so now, Yale worked on an endless water flow effect for the endless drinking skeleton on Pirates of the Caribbean. We all know that one in the bar. but uh, And that is still same effect used today. The burning city illusions in Pirates of the Caribbean, that they consider Pirates of the Caribbean to be the crescendo of attractions. The, um, the burning city was Walt's idea. And it was a mandate from Walt. Well, the problem is you can't use real fire. So Yale created that flame illusion. And they said, and now you see it everywhere. I mean, you see it in Halloween and Christmas stores. They use the same effect on Broadway shows and all that. So again, just, just another amazing effect that was really simple. So when... When Pirates of the Caribbean first opened in 1967, there's a story that the Anaheim Fire Department was called into a fire on Pirates of the Caribbean by a cast member because the illusion was so real. And I thought, well, that wasn't a very well-trained cast member. (laughs) No. Uh -uh. (laughs) But maybe they were just passing through. I don't know. So, Walt had Yale create a special lab in Glendale with Rolly Crump, whom we've had on the show, and it became Walt's playground. He would visit and ask to see what they were working on, and Walt told them that they should wear lab coats. So, sometimes you'll see in photos, you'll see them wearing lab coats in scenes. So, they showed then a clip from Disneyland's 10th anniversary show um, with Walt. We all know this clip with Walt and Julie Ream and there uh, who's the first ambassador um showing the mock up of a ghost skeleton playing an organ and remember she had to look like through a, a little curtain mm-hmm. something in order mm-hmm. to see that well Yale and that was a product from this lab and and Yale had a book from his childhood the boy mechanics it was published in 1901 and it gave him the inspiration for many of his inventions. So many of Yale's sketches and illusions and special effects, they said, are still used today. And they said, this is before the invention of like lasers and 3D printers and video. So um, then they showed uh, clips from the Disney Channel of Yale Gracie's um, showing the sinking bust illusion. And it was narrated by Kurt Russell. And they were one of the, the Imagineers here, they were taught or illusioneers. They were talking about how he stayed up 
all night for the Disney Channel in order to record this clip when it when it first played. So, um, and then Madame Leota, she was the first use of projection mapping and the endless hallway, the, the, um, staring busts, the ghosts dancing in the ballroom. That was all Yale Gracie. So they said the ballroom scene is the largest installation of, um, of that Pepper's ghost illusion. And after 50 years, it still holds up. So this, they said the singing busts also began as um, projection mapping and the hitchhiking ghost in the mirror, uh, was also a Yale Gracie illusion. And Yale actually installed, um, the haunted mansion illusions himself. And the next big project was Epcot Center and Yale was getting ready to retire. And he and the other Imagineers were brought back in the late 70s and early 80s to teach the new Imagineers who were hired to work on Epcot Center. So they had um, a clip of Gracie and the um, uh, telling the story of like the, the bent hubcap. And he, what it was is he found a chrome hubcap in the street that had been beat up and bent. And he put water on it and he... Um, he then put then he put a projector on it with colors and it was used in the um in the mammoth scene in spaceship earth so uh, and anyway then, so then they talked about how creating a water-based fog machine and they got and and he got the idea from an article he read in a science magazine and so they have always called this the gracie fog box so, and Epcot Center, they said, is the biggest, was the biggest private construction project at the time. And the special effects and illusions group needed a lot of people. So they advertised for illusion um, apparatus designers. And so the apartment grew to 150, to over 150 people. And this is where they were able to start using lasers and fiber optics. And they created the smell it sirs. And they, um, they learned, they started to lean into all five senses to create illusions. And so they had a laser lab to experiment with how to use this in the parks. And of course, this was all, you know, cutting edge technology. You know, at the time. Yeah. And, and they said in the last decade, some of the things they worked on was the BR guest restaurant at Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. And what they did is they did a, um, one, someone in a team did a desktop mock-up of Tinkerbell, um, sort of tinkling in a jar. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean tinkling like she was going to the bathroom. You know what I mean? So, um, glittering and it, and kept it running. So it was perpetually running this effect. And then the BR guest team member, uh, was sort of passing through and asked, could, could a rose be put in the jar in place of Tinkerbell? And so, and the fellow said, yeah. So they created a video of a real rose and did a mock up of it in the jar. And this created that illusion that is now in the Be Our Guest restaurant of the rose losing its petal. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So then they talked about hat, bo- hat, hat, 
Fox Ghost 2.0. And how we all know this story. We've talked about it on the show. The original effect didn't work. It was a Yale illusion and they wanted to bring it back for the 60th anniversary of Disneyland. And they used the original mold of the Hatbox Ghost and created a mock-up to see if it would work with guests in close proximity. Because you, you might recall when we talked about this, it didn't work in close proximity, the original version yeah. of it. And that's why they pulled it after a very short time. And they said it was crude and, and it worked when they demonstrated it to, you know, the executives. And so it was greenlit. And now he's living the afterlife of his dreams. And as we learned in the um, Parks panel that we'll talk about, um, he, of course, his, his twin brother is going to take up residence in over at the Magic Kingdom. There. How do you feel about that? The hats box goes coming over there. Craig. I'm not excited about it. You know, I'm not either. Now, why are you? Let's see if our reasons are the same. Uh, I mean, so for me, it, we don't have that history with it at Walt Disney World, so it's not something I should be excited about. I like that there's something with Disneyland that makes it feel, again, unique to that coast. And then another one that's a little bit slightly more like nagging but uh our walt disney world version of haunted mansion is so much incredibly darker than disneyland's and i don't mean like in tone i mean like lit it is so much darker and Mm -hmm. like i don't know how that's gonna work with the hatbox ghost like yeah it's a nice bright animatronic but i think it might stand out and kind of make parts of the cemetery even even harder to see like that's one of the things we always note when we're at Disneyland's Haunted Mansion that it's awesome is you go, you know, fall back down out of the house. You can see the trees and you can see the character in the faces on the trees. You can't see that at Walt Disney World. Yeah. It's just, and, it's too dark. Yeah. And I think I mentioned a few shows back, I think they've relit our Haunted Mansion and it's less dark because I can see way more details. Mm-hmm. Like when mm-hmm. I talked about, I saw those models of the Haunted Mansion and Phantom Manor in the uh, attic. I'd never seen those before. Yeah. And all that. I uh, For me, it's the same thing, is that it's nice to have things that are unique to each park. Like the Hatbox Ghost, really, his history is with Disneyland. You have effects, you have extra rooms at, in your Haunted Mansion that we don't have. You have sort of, I love your hitchhiking ghosts effect. They would not fit in at Disneyland's. Our, the original, I like that we have the original versions and then you have the, the sort of wild and crazy ghosts, you know, over at yours. Yeah. So, and um, also like with ours in general, it's busy every day. We don't, we don't need that. When it came to Disneyland, it was that present as part of, you know, refreshing the 60th anniversary of the park with ours it's just like oh here you go why not mm-hmm. have it and I'm, yeah. I'm i'm not okay with that give me a give me a solid reason why it should be there and i still haven't heard one yet yeah i i think it was just yeah i don't know i don't know i think it was just well we will get into the parks panel and then maybe that we can get into our reasons why that announcement was made yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, they, then the next project was Blaster Beans and Star Wars, because they said, problem was you can't see light. You can't see light move at the speed of light. So they, again, created um, the models of the at-ats with, um, and, uh, with yarn 
uh, sort of strung out where the, to show where the beams of light would be in Rise of the Resistance. And then they created, and that helped them to create the beam of light illusion. And from what I understand right now, Disneyland is not working too great. And so, um, and then they did the Phantom Manor, um, 2018 refresh at Disneyland Parish, pa- Parish, Paris. Uh, they said that, and well, we, we know Disneyland Paris really had been neglected since 1992. And, uh, so they, they said that the, they, they needed to, um, to what they did is they, they upgraded the illusions. They enhanced the storyline. And so this, for instance, they, they redid the stretching room portraits to show the brides, um, appearing and disappearing. And then, the, um, and, and as the grooms met their fate. And, um, so I had not seen the previous version of the Phantom Manor, but I, I really like the Phantom Manor. Disneyland yep. Paris. It's, um, it's scary. I mean, it really is a scary haunted mansion there. Then it was a Space 220 restaurant at Epcot. And I've not been in there yet. But they said this, the biggest requirement, they said, is that you're in there for 90 minutes. And you have a lot of time to scrutinize the surroundings. And so they had to determine what does space look like. So have you, you've been up there, right, Craig? Yeah, just one time. But I have been there. So do you feel like, you know, when you're there for 90 minutes, there's a lot to look at and see and keep you entertained? It it all depends on where you sit at. There are, you know, there's positives and negatives to it. Because while I've only eaten there once, I was placed right up against the window. And I felt like I had a great view of where I did being one booth from the very far left of the entire restaurant. So... I couldn't really see a great deal, but what I saw in there looked great. Then you sit further back, you know, you get a better view of it, but you're kind of taken more out of the experience because then you also realize you're in a restaurant and it, it's not, it, you don't get as lost in the feeling of space from, from further back. But, you know, I, I think they did, I think they did a good job for it. And, uh, I, I don't know what I would do to improve it. So as a concept, I, I think I think they did all they could. It's just whether or not it's something you want to do. Go eat up in space. Hmm, sounds like fun. Um, anyway, there's a then he said they there's a grow zone concept. They said it's like a giant lettuce spinner, and and I, is that up there? So um, yeah, yeah, okay. it's it's as you're walking into the hallway to get uh, to the actual restaurant, you know, because okay. they're not just going to bring in everything from you know, down on earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So they said they created a 10 inch mock-up and that became the 10 foot mock-up to harvest lettuce. Yeah. And then they talked about the space scene in the restaurant. They created a mock-up of an astronaut in space and they showed that a lot of everything they were talking about. They showed clips and pictures and stuff. And then they created a new paint that was black, but when it was um, illuminated with purple lights, it would display a super bright white light that would be the stars. So, anyway, and then they talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, and they said this, they said there's, and I've not been on this, and 
reading from how people are getting sick on it. I don't know if I'll ever go on this. Um, they said there's a whole attraction before this attraction in the queue. And it is the um, face chamber illusion. And it's like, a, a, I guess, a teleportation chamber where you enter one room and you leave another. So they said they built a physical model to prove it could be done. And they said in the blink of an eye, you go from the, um, trans, from the transportation room to the spaceship and they showed what they built and, and how this is done. And they said though their favorite illusion was the court chaos illusion. And it's a tunnel that you reverse launch through and it mimics the big bang theory. The yeah. Big Bang. So they met with NASA to um, sort of ask what they, you know, what they, um, what they thought, you know, the theory, it, w- what they thought the theory was. And the theory is the Big Bang created quarks that became the stars and planets. So they had to create the illusion of of all of this, of the electricity and the quarks in this three hundred foot terminal. So I'm, I'm assuming that was an effective illusion they created. Yeah, it, it's good. The first illusion you were talking about, the transportation one, it's very, very well done. I mean, it's not like, I don't know why they would call it that groundbreaking, because they do the same, it's the exact same type of illusion that they use on uh, Flight of Passage to, you know, using light to distract you from uh, a big change that's happening in front of you but also very similar to a moment that's in mickey's filler magic with the theater converting so it's kind of like a mix of that it's not it's not groundbreaking but it's it's the best they've done so far and more impressive than those two so if anything it's like i feel like they should give a nod to the past that led them to doing it in such a a, a big way now okay Alrighty, well, I, I guess the next one is Magic in the Air, 30 Years of the Muppet Christmas Carol, and I knew you were going to get in here no matter what. I, I did, and, you know, I, I could have walked in after it had started and got a seat, but I want to give a shout out to uh, friends uh, Brian and Frank for uh, waiting behind and sacrificing a better seat for uh, for the ability to make sure that I got in there just in case they were filling up. And uh, this was what I was looking forward to more than anything else over the weekend, because as I've said before, Muppet Christmas Carol is one of my favorite movies. It's it's in my top four favorite, and it's absolutely my favorite Christmas movie of all time. It could be my favorite movie of all time. And so to be in a panel in this room was just, it, it was very important to me. Uh, it was hosted by Nina West, who is now one of like the official Disney representatives uh, in a way, Disney hosts like uh, Nina shows up for everything at this point, which it, it's great. Um, I, it, Nina did a fantastic job as a host and clearly had a love for the Muppets and just helped kept the panel 
uh, vibrant and and really really fun. And the the whole thing started off with uh, a little uh, just a little interaction where Gonzo was in his uh, Charles Dickens outfit already ah. from the beginning, but other uh, Muppet characters also came out in the beginning, and they were just in in their normal costumes or not normal costumes from the start because obviously Kermit is just green, but they were in their, their normal look, but we got a little bit of Muppets right out at the beginning of it and interactions with Nina. And then eventually the panelists came on and the panelists can, uh, consisted of, of course, Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son and the director of Muppet Christmas Carol. And also Paul Williams, who did all of music for that, as well as, you know, the Muppet movie, a legendary songwriter wrote Rainbow Connection, <laughs> just a, a legend. Uh, then Dave Goltz was part of the panel, who is the original and still performer of Gonzo. The only, the only original performer left in that way of the main Muppets. And then the last person who was on the panel was, I believe her name was Polly Smith and she did the costume design for Muppet Christmas Carol. So they kind of, I think they had a nice balance from the director to the music to a performer to the, you know, more the behind the scenes style. I felt like they had a nice, a nice balanced panel and, Ultimately, though, it became basically Paul Williams talking nonstop and Brian Henson talking nonstop as well as kind of like just bouncing back and forth of which one of the two of them was going to be talking more. Uh, Paul Williams was a trip. I mean, he's like a he's like a ex addict in recovery that was he's been in recovery for years but i mean he would just got, get lost in these tangents very much like me and like go on and on while praising every everything that everyone did on the movie and saying how important it was but he would start a sentence and he would take 10 minutes to get to the end and he got nowhere in between it was just like constant loops and you didn't really get a lot from it. Uh, Brian obviously gave a lot of the uh, technical details about it as a director. I mean, he is, I, I never realized how nerdy he is and how serious he takes filmmaking. I've never had the chance to meet him. I've stood in the same room as him, but I've, I've never actually been able to say hi to him. So I, I've only been able to base stuff based on reading about him and seeing behind the scenes stuff with him. But, uh, he is like, he is very technical and was a nerd and he kept getting lost in details talking about like different, um, you know, different formats because one of the big questions over the past years and years and years is when are they going to reinstate the song when love is gone? back into the movie because it was uh you know it's it's had a big long history (laughs) with the movie where it was originally part of the movie and then it was cut for the theatrical release but then they had to put it back in the movie for the home release so a lot of people who grew up watching it on vhs knew the song and it was supposed to be uh, he said in the panel, it was supposed to be like a solid deal that it, it needs to be in every release moving forward. Um, that, that was the whole deal with it. As long as it was getting released, it had to be part of it. The problem that happened with all of this 
is that they did not foresee different, um, you know, different changes in technology. So when it went through its first cut, you know, they were only worried about uh, VHS and the the British equivalent. So at that point in time, you know, they're dealing with 525 frames and uh, 625, sorry, not frames, uh, lines of resolution um, and 625. So that's like the that's VHS quality. And then they had to worry about DVD quality, which, you know, they could still include the song in on I believe on the first DVD release, it was part of like, you could watch either a, a, a widescreen version of the film without the song, or you could watch the, the four by three version of the movie with the song included in, because that was basically just an upgrade from the tele, from the VHS version, because it wasn't that much of a change in difference. But then once you get to, uh, you get to HD in 1080. I mean, you're literally doubling the resolution. And now we're, you know, we're in the world of 4K. Uh, there are 6K and 8K consumer cameras out there now. So we're talking about technology has increased so much that to include a song that, uh, has been missing for years, because that's, that's a big part that I guess I forgot to leave out of it is that they lost the negative for the scene after they cut it out of the movie. And so all they had to go off of for the longest time was the DVD transfer or the C, sorry, VHS transfer of it, the low quality one. So you can't put a VHS looking clip in an HD or a 4K movie. <laughs> Just it would not look good. And so apparently Brian working with Disney, they worked for like 20 years to try to find the original film negative. So as, as Disney's been going through their films and cataloging and archiving it, there's been two people that have made that their job that they're going through and doing all of that. And part of their task was to look for the original reel that the song was on when love is gone. And, uh, you know, they just, they could not find it, couldn't find it. So then to get even nerdier with all the film stuff, he said, what ended up happening is that like, when you finally make the entire movie, you have like, you first have the original negatives that it was filmed on, and then you press it all together and you have your original reel of the full movie, which could go over a course of, you know, multiple different reels. But then after that, when you start distributing it to theaters, you start making copies of that original reel. And so they did finally find a copy of the first generation after the original reel. So it's not, it's not the original negative or the original reel, but it's like one step below that. So it's still super high quality. And because of that, they're able to finally include the song back in there and it will be part of Disney plus on December 11th. So, and then are they going to release it on, on, on home media as well? They did not say that yet. They said first uh, on Disney Plus, but everyone's hoping for a big 4K release. I I, I can't so. imagine that they won't. Um, you know, Disney's still been very good about doing 4K upgrades of their movies, and it's it's really only if it's a Disney Plus exclusive movie or or show, it's not being released. But something like Muppet Christmas Carol, I I can't imagine it's not going to get a 4K re- release. So uh, it's 
it, it's going to come. But uh, with all this section two, this this took up a lot of it, and Brian got really lost in those details. But Jody Benson did come out and sing the song from uh, oh wow the movie, which you know Jody's always great. But the the thing I liked about this, you know, I don't need to hear Jody sing again. I've heard her sing enough in my lifetime. I appreciate it every single time. What a Disney snob you are, Craig. Oh my not, goodness. No, I mean, it's just like, it's like, I feel bad that I've heard her sing so much and there's so many people too, out there who but... haven't. Um, it's like, I, I want to spread the love around. Let, let other people get to hear her. But she did a fantastic job with it. I mean, it, it kills me that. You know, like the last time she was on our last podcast cruise and she was saying like, oh, I asked, you know, Pete and John and Kevin what songs they wanted to hear. And basically she did the same set list that she's done for most of them. Like, I didn't realize Muppet Christmas Carol songs were in contention because I would have had her sing this song years ago because she killed it. She did such a good job. And the fun connection of this was that, uh, you know, Obviously, Brian talked about the struggles of Disney and Jeffrey Katzenberg wanting to cut it from the movie and ultimately getting his way. And she was like, well, I actually feel that because he tried to cut, um, he tried to cut part of your world from mm-hmm. it. So like it, there was that, that really cool connection, uh, between the two of them for that. And yeah, it's, he really laid into Jeffrey Katzenberg in that way and saying like, saying you know it's with those test screenings they would do if like you heard one yawn or one kid got up to go to the bathroom or like i think it was with the with little mermaid it was a kid dropped their popcorn during the song it's like anything like that would set him off and be like nope we're cutting it from the movie but he also said that the movie went way over budget so ultimately you know he can't be too mad at him because anyone else could have cut it and said nope you're, you're over budget. We're not making it anymore. And just we'll try to recover what we already lost on it. So, uh, it was, it, there was a lot, a lot of little details from, uh, the entire panel like that. And the big ending though was Nina West, uh, ended up doing a medley of songs from the movie with the Muppet performers. And, you know, they went through, they went through all of, all of the songs and it was, it was such a, a nice little panel. It was a perfect tribute to that movie. And I, I just wish it would have been one of the ones live streamed. So that way, you know, someone yeah, could have ripped have it nice. and saved it forever. So I, I know that people did film it that were in the room. I wasn't in a place where I could film it because uh, I had a great seat for being in the room, but you know, heads in front of the screen. And I also just wanted to take this one and enjoy it because there's something to be said about getting lost behind your phone, camera, whatever, and not being able to take in the moment. And, and I took it all in and it was just, it was, it was a highlight. It was a life highlight with Disney for me. It was oh, so great. Cool. That's wonderful. So uh, that's the cool thing about the D23 Expo it can give you a lot of highlights like that. There, I, I know I have seen clips of these, of Nina West doing the sync, the montage of songs with the Muppets. Yeah. And on, she even screwed YouTube. up in it. And it was like cute. She, she screwed up <laughs> as they were, uh, singing it feels like Christmas. And the best part is she just owned it and rolled with it and laughed at herself. And I'm like, that's like <laughs> that. It was just, it, it was so, so good. So yeah, if I don't, I don't have it released anywhere, but if, if you go and search on YouTube, you'll find it. Watch it. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. 
Well, the final panel I attended that day was, uh, and you talked about this when, on your last Backstage Magic when you were at Imagineering, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uncovering treasures from the Marty Scar archives. So, so feel free if there's anything you can add. And Craig, from based on your experience, um, feel free to jump in. I, I'm sure you saw a lot of the stuff that we saw laid out on a table, <laughs> and that's Except you. You got the been, details behind it, though. It, it would have been projected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but they, it opened up with a recording of Marty Sklar talking about Walt Disney, how how he was an eternal optimist, and that tomorrow will be better was his anthem. And then there were some quotes from Marty, like a blank page can be the greatest opportunity in the world don't be afraid of it make your mark and one of the most important lessons in this place is that we are only as good as the sum of everyone who works here so leslie iworks was the moderator and she said marty was a huge inspiration for her and many of the imagineers in his 54-year career. So she said after doing the Pixar story film, Marty asked her when would she uh, write the Imagineering story. And she said, you tell me, Marty. Well, as we know, after five years, she published the Imagineering story, and it was released um, the weekend of D23. She said Marty was present for all 12 parks. Uh, also joining then on the panel was Leah Sklar, Marty's wife and Bob Weiss from Imagineering. And so, um, and they said how Marty loved D23. So, um, after Bob said that after finishing Shanghai, he was told that we have a lot of Marty's boxes and he looked at them and asked, why aren't they in the Iron Mountain storage, um, records retention? And he was told that Marty couldn't send any more to them. And, um, Leah said, and, and, and Marty was told, you can't send any more to us because he had sent so much over mm-hmm. there. And Leah said, um, Marty couldn't bring any more home. Uh, she didn't allow it anymore. So they discovered Marty had an unbelievable collection of records of his history and of theme park history. And at the latest count, there are 1,000 boxes. And an estimated two million documents. Can you imagine going through all that? I, and That'd they be don't like have a, a big team going through it all, but they're doing it. They don't. They don't have a big team at all. You're right. Uh, Leah said that they found things everywhere. Um, the previous owners of their home built an, an exterior storage air unit, and it was filled. She said the garage um, shelves were filled. The office Marty had built after his retirement was full. He had multiple storage units, and they were full. Um, the the uh, And the boxes have extreme miscellany. So Leslie discovered a box in the garage rafters with folders labeled Walt stuff. And it was like memos to and from Ub Iwerks. It was um, Disneyland, Disneyland parking passes, a copy of Herb Ryman's original schematic for Disneyland that Ub had colored as a sample for a um, final painted version. Uh, and, they, and they just said the boxes are quite miscellaneous. Um, one had John Hench's original drawings labeled for Marty to look at and, and decide where to go. <laughs> and then, um, Marty, um, 
Marty labeled um, scripts, but it 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 all it, there was a, the one said Marty 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 labeled it as scrap, but all it was was a box and it was drawings of Mickey Mouse sketches of. Um, Space Mountains, a draft um, ideas for that year's Christmas card, and a grocery list. So um, lots of books. Th- there were lots of books on early Disneyland. Some with um, had edits in them. There were name badges, note cards with handwritten edits. There were buttons in there. And then after the Magic Kingdom was done, there are the earliest written notes on how the company should proceed with Walt's dream of building Epcot. Then there were photos of the Walt Disney World site that Marty took using directions Walt gave them for the site and and, and where the park should be and the hotels should be and everything like that. So Marty went back himself to the site and in a notebook this was after Walt's passing he wrote a letter to Walt and it was a very emotional moment and in the letter it was about what he was seeing and how he would work on Walt's dream and Marty never shared the letter and it was discovered um days after Marty's passing so this they consider a real treasure So shortly afterwards, Marty created the Blue Book that outlined the cultural and operational um, structure of Imagineering, standing on the shoulders of Walt. So Marty was fresh out of journalism school and began when he began working with Walt and realized the significance of the relationship and the importance of preserving everything. And this was not only preserving history, but the culture of Imagineering. So they said Mar- Marty grew attached to inanimate objects. And so he played tennis. So he accumulated a lot of tennis shoes, but he didn't throw any of them away. So one day when he went out, um, Leah uh, lined up all his shoes as if they were walking up the stairs, starting from the garage through the dining room, up the stairs to the bedroom. That's how many shoes he'd saved. And so uh, Marty got the message. So he just saved his favorite three or four pairs. Um, Bob said, Marty was a tremendous mentor who was happy to put you up front. He said, we were given opportunities far beyond our experience. He said, um, since 1990, um, he, not since 1980, he defended Imagineering as a free-thinking, creative organization that had high expectations of people. And so Marty created a rich, dynamic, creative environment. And Marty and they said they talked about how Marty and John Hench um, complemented each other. They said they said Marty was an excellent um, storyteller, and John Hench was a deep thinker. So the plan for the collection is to preserve, catalog, and digitize every piece of writing, sketch, um, notepad uh, that it's scanned and um, preserved on the scale of a presidential library. The plan is to write a book on Marty and Imagineering, um, and they're in talk with um, Leslie and Disney Plus 
for a series on this. So oh, that would be a home run. That would be. That'd be fascinating. How they're going to put all this together, though. I mean, just to bring this all together, I don't know. But um, that would be fun to work on. Yeah, that's if they can figure it out, I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then in 1991, uh, Marty stayed, uh, stated the legacy of, of, imagine, of Imagineering. Marty said that Imagineering um, and the parks cannot be a museum. So in the collections are writing about the future of the company and the need to, to reflect the diversity of our audience around the world. And that, that, um, sort of that would be um, measured in, in the world of imagination. So the college student uh, competition uh, was started where they would college students would work in groups on a project and then they'd be flown into Burbank and they'd work with Imagineers for a week and then present their projects. And then, then they, this is how they recruited the hiring of people from different backgrounds and education in, um, you know, and then, um, the program, this pro, this program is now around the world. And this is now how the, one of the ways they do hiring in the company. And then they brought out Dex Texley and he was part of the original imaginations pro, imaginators program, I think is what it's called. This was back in May of 1992. And they said, uh, he said, Marty always asked me to say, if it wasn't for the imaginators program, I would probably be designing strip malls in Rochester, New York. <laughs> so, um, they said Marty was the most, um, was the connective tissue in Imagineering. Like Walt, Marty knew how to cast the right people in the right projects and how to bring diverse talent into Imagineering. And there was a question from the audience about, uh, about this program, the Imaginators program. And they said, it's usually, um, a third, third year college students in engineering or art. And, and that was, that was the end of the presentation. It was, it was, really fascinating and all that. And again, they had slides of a lot of examples of, of Marty's um, collection in there. So I don't know, was there anything else they talked about on this, on your backstage magic trip? Oh, no, they were very bare bones with it. Basically they just told us like, yeah, we pulled all this out. And if you had any questions about some of the individual items, they were happy to answer, but they, they basically gave even a shorter version of the things that you said in terms of, you know, what they found, how they found it. So they, I would have loved to have been at this one to get the more full story about it because it, it fascinated when his artifacts and boxes from this stuff were just sitting in front of me. And like, I, you can only imagine what's in there. Yeah, and that, and that there's a thousand boxes. Oh my yeah. gosh, oh, it's, it's amazing. And it's those, um, you know, those typical, you know, storage boxes that that you see, like you put folders in and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's those size boxes. So anyway, well, that is day two. That was September tenth. Craig, do we have time to go into September eleventh, or should we save that for next time? I think we should save that for next time, just because okay. we have the parks to cover. 
Yes, and there's a lot to say about that. Also, mm-hmm. I did attend another. I attended another panel that day, and um, and then I went to the Disney Princess concert. And then there's some exhibits that we want to talk about. And then there's the Oogie Boogie Bash, the D23 exclusive Oogie Boogie Bash. I have some comments on that. And I know you attended it as well, Craig. I did not attend it. I thought you did. And nope. I asked for a refund after being there for like an hour. Oh boy. Is that a story I want to hear? (laughs) I'll maybe (laughs) save that one for you for off air, but no, it was just, there was, some things that I wasn't happy about right away and it ruined the mood. And so I went and asked for a refund and was told I, they can't promise me I'll actually get one, but I took the chance and I, I left. So, oh, and I did boy. get a refund. So Do I want to hear this story because <laughs> I am, um, let's just say my observations are very critical of this event. So, um, anyway, and you know what? I probably would have done the same thing had I known it was possible. But anyway, but that's for next time. So there's our little teaser for you. But now it's time for this week in Disney history. Craig, I think it's your turn it to start is. this week. So what do it you is. have for us? Um well, I'm kind of I don't I'm not really sure if it falls into more of next week or this week, but it was one that I felt like was uh very fitting, uh especially for uh the thing that we launched this show off with and uh that was that on October 22nd of 1969 the one and only Angela Lansbury sent a note to Bill Walsh, which is potentially what got her, her role in, in bed knobs and broomsticks. And D 23 did an article at one point in time about bed knobs and broomsticks behind the scenes. And, and they, uh, they included parts of the handwritten note. And she said, I think the script has so many marvelous facets, character, humor, heart, and an opportunity for rare inventiveness in so many areas. And the songs Dick and Bob have written are charming and just what was needed. So all things being equal do hope I'm your girl. And, uh, she was obviously signed on to be Miss Price ultimately. And mm-hmm. that's why she is part of that history. But I, I love, love that aspect of it that, you know, she took the time. She was so passionate about it that she, she wrote a handwritten letter expressing how badly, you know, she, she wanted to be a part of it because how amazing she thought it was going to be. So uh, a nice after, you know, remembering her at the beginning of this episode, I thought it was it was also nice to remember that fact about her, too, and have that one extra little tidbit. That is it. You know, though, that's interesting because it reminds me of a story when I was um, reading about her life and career. Uh, That's she did that sort of to get her what launched her um, sort of second era of her career, which was her Broadway era, she um she was up for the part of Maine, um, which May launched her on Broadway. And she went she had to basically prostrate herself. Um uh there. I mean where she had to 
she had to, um, she was already well known in Hollywood, but mm-hmm. she had to audition as if she were a nobody and she did it. And then, and she threw her heart and soul into it. And then she, her family lived in California at the time. Um, her husband and her son with, you know, she lived with her husband and her son and daughter and she didn't hear anything for like months. And she thought, what's going on? So she flew out to New York and met with the people she auditioned with then said, I, you know what? I auditioned and, and the role had not been cast to anybody because, but there were other big names that also auditioned. And she said, I, um, I auditioned for you. I did everything you asked. I showed you everything I have. And now I want a decision. I am flying back to California tomorrow. I want a decision or I am done with you. And they got in touch with her before she flew back and said, the part is yours. Wow. That's great. So, yeah. So she, um, she was a go getter. Obviously. I love that, I love that mm-hmm. about her. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, two great stories in a row. Yeah, yeah, really good. So, well, mine does have to do with what we're talking about in, uh, in our in our episodes here, and that's October 16th, 1923. I bet you can guess what this is, Craig. I can't. The, Di- <laughs> the Disney Brothers Studio is founded as a partnership the day after Walt and his older brother Roy sign a contract with M.J. Winkler, who, as we know, is a, a New York cartoon distributor. And again, longtime listeners of the show know that MJ is really Margaret Winkler, used her initials because she didn't want people to discriminate against her because she was a woman. Um, to produce, and to, this of course was to produce a series of animated short subjects that we know as the Alice comedies. So now, right now, the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio is on Kingswell Avenue in Los Angeles, and they were located in the back of a realty office that the brothers are renting. Um, in February of 1924, they're going to move into the building next door and take over the whole first floor. And, on this same day, October 16th, 1923, Walt writes a letter to the parents of the actress, Virginia Davis, who was living in Kansas City. Remember, she was the first Alice and persuaded the family to move to Hollywood so that she can star in his new live action and animated shorts and um, the Alice comedies, which, of course, they did. And so that basically is the founding of the Walt Disney Company. It's the start of D23, of course. The, you know, D23 harkens back to this day, October 16th, 1923. And, um, next year will be the 100th anniversary of the company. So probably a year from now, I'll bring up this same date. That's okay. It's an important one. (laughs) But it is an important one. I'm looking forward to the big um, celebration. I'm really thinking of, I'm going to be visiting my son and his family in Pennsylvania in March. I'm really thinking of doing a little side trip to Philadelphia to see the um, 100 Years of Wonder exhibit at the Franklin Institute. Yeah, I mean, it it could be good. Since, Since nothing ever comes to California. 
that the yeah. Disney, <laughs> for some reason, uh, for the uh, the Disney the, tr- the the Disney traveling exhibits, say, so, take uh, Disneyland and shut up. <laughs> yeah, really, really. So anyway, so Craig, have you watched um, Hocus Pocus two yet? I did. I finally did watch it. And so what do you think? I you know what I thought it was cute. Um, I will never watch it more than once in one year. I probably won't even watch it every year. Like I inevitably watch Hocus Pocus. I, I shouldn't even say that. I've kind of, I cut back on that. I turn off free form if I ever see it on because I, I just, I, it, it's, it's all over the place, but you know, it, it was a sequel that no one needed. It was very cringy at a lot of points in time. Like every time they sang, that was completely unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I thought it was still fun. You know, I thought the thought overall was humorous and put me in the Halloween spirit. And, uh, I, just really it was i i feel like i've kind of said this in other places and talked to people about it so who knows if i'm repeating myself but with the first movie i felt like that was more of a that was more of like a family-friendly disney halloween movie that had that felt more adult-centric even though it had these kids in it uh it felt like something where if you were a kid watching it, you felt like, oh, I'm watching, like, I'm watching something that's meant for older people and a little mm-hmm. bit spookier and scarier. With this one watching it, it just kind of had that almost Disney Channel feel to it. So to me, I absolutely agree. Yeah. This one felt like I was watching a kid's movie that adults could still enjoy. Whereas the first one, I do believe it's like, that was a family movie that like, was almost more aimed at adults, but kids still were able to enjoy it too. So, yeah. yeah. And I felt that the Sanderson sisters were a little more menacing in the first film. Mm-hmm. And, and it, the film had a more of a, I don't know, sort of, it, 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 it set a more Halloween tone. And this, and I watch Hocus Pocus every year. I've grown to really enjoy it. But the second one was more, it, they were more sort of bumbling and, Yes. And, and stuff like that. And I didn't feel they were as menacing this time. The other thing that bothered me is how could nobody in this town remember them from back in the yeah. day? Except, and, except one little boy. Like, who, I know that they technically were under, you know, the people who were at the party dancing. But they were all under a spell. Not everybody but, was at that party. Oh, I know. Couldn't I possibly know. have been. Exactly. This is, this is where when they say they couldn't figure out a way how to bring in some of the original characters, you think a couple of the original characters could have still lived in the town and <laughs> right. said, hey, we, hey, girls, and keep the three girls in. I like them. Hey, girls, we remember these Sanderson sisters and could have helped guided them a little. And I yeah. think would have made it a little more, um, get, get maybe given it that, that edge that it needed so um, yeah it was but it was still a fun movie like i listen it was not it was not the greatest made movie it it was not the best acting all over but you know it's i'll watch it every couple of years and i'll enjoy Uh, it uh, yeah i will too i don't know if it'll become an every year thing but you know when i first saw hocus pocus i wasn't impressed with it and then it somehow grew on me and so this one might too yeah, so, it was just a little too 
slapsticky for me. As you already mm-hmm. mentioned, the, the sisters were a little bit bumbly. I didn't, I didn't like the beginning with them as kids because it's like, for me, I, I don't, I, I, no point I felt like it was natural. Like those kids would not have been the exact definitions of who they were as an adult, as that young age. And, mm-hmm. So it just, it felt a little too over the top and there was a lot of over the top moments and, you know, like cutting away with things like I love Tony Hale. He's the voice of Forky and from Arrested Development and like his whole side thing with the apple and such like it just felt. Well, they dropped a story. Really? The whole thing, like you thought, okay, he's the descendant that put, you know, that sort of messed up their his you know just of the guy that messed up their lives there's going to be something happening here maybe he's going to become the hero of this or something no they just dropped that whole thing yeah it just there was a lot of that that just it didn't it never really completely clicked with me in that way and uh, like even the singing that they did it like, I like that they made a joke when they started singing as soon as they came back and the girls were like, who are they singing that for? <laughs> like, that I thought was great because I'm like, what? like, can they hear the music? Is there music there? Are they just singing? Like, what's, what's going on there? But then, like, there's something that's so natural in Hocus Pocus about the I put a spell on you section. Like, mm-hmm. it's a song that works. And has that atmosphere to it, but then also it, it makes sense in the movie. The whole one way or another sequence here, while it is true they want to get to him one way or another, it didn't, it didn't fit in. And then it just led to this big long dance section that just felt like it kept going. And, it and just, why do they know the words to the song? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was like, Yes, I'm being very picky about these things, but it's it's the stuff that is why I won't watch it every year. But I will watch it again. It was yeah. it was not the worst thing I've seen on Disney Plus. No, no, oh no. But I did watch one I hadn't seen in a few years, and I don't know why it's not on Disney Plus. But something wicked this way comes. I've never actually watched it. I mean, I've oh, read the book, but I've yeah, never watched I, oh, it. You've got to watch this. It's. I think it's really well done. And I enjoyed it very much. And Royal Dano is in it, of course, is the original voice of, of Abraham Lincoln and Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. But it's the last time, really, the back lot was used before they tore it down for a parking lot. So um, it's fun because there is still one area that exists, and you can see it in the background. And I, uh, it's creepy. I enjoy it. Very much. So this might end up on my um, every year list. So um, I need to. I need to finally watch it. I've thought about it a couple of years, but I kind of. I did a back last time. I read the book. I did a back to back with it, and then Halloween Tree. And Halloween Tree is just such a good book that mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about something wicked in terms yeah. of the movie and everything with it. Yeah. And then I watched a couple of Alfred, because since I'm in my Halloween movies, I watched a couple of Alfred Hitchcock films, Psycho, which is always good. And uh, then. Did you watch your movie? I did. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I watched The Birds. Good. So, um, anyway, so that was, that was fun. 
Always fun to see that one. I always notice new things in that one. So I still can't figure out. I'm in plain clothes, but then when I'm leaving, when, when we think we're leaving the restaurant, I have a, why do they put, why do they put a Cub Scout neckerchief on me? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I don't know who the wardrobe person was. That's what people anyway. do. They put neckerchiefs on as they leave restaurants. <laughs> yes. And, and, and a coat. I had a coat, too. But anyway. Alrighty. And then I know you probably heard, since we're talking about traveling exhibits, the Disney Animation Immersive Experience, which, of course, is not coming to California yet. So, um, but you know, it reminds me, it almost sounds like a bigger version of the, um, is it the, uh, the, the animation academy lobby there of Disney California Adventure? Yeah, that's the opinion I kind of took away from it too. So it could be cool, but I don't, mm-hmm. it, I don't know if anything I, you know, read about it made me think like, oh, this is something you have to see. It just kind of seemed like yeah. a giant wall was great. Yeah, well, it's like, I guess, like the, the Van Gogh and the Monet exhibits. Yeah. The, those immersive exhibits that were traveling around. So, um, if it comes to my area someday, then I'll go see it. But, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to fly to Las Vegas or anything for it. No, that so. seems like a little overkill. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, as always, you can find me on the different shows I'm on, the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network. You can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster, and you can email me, Craig, at DisneyInfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at MichaelBowling at DisneyInfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, MichaelBowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm MichaelBowlingTheDiz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyPlug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy, on October 16th, 